We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 this morning. I hope you have your Bible and would encourage you to turn there. When I was uh, little, I was taught a lesson that was summarized by this statement. You should always look before you leap. Well, it didn't take. And, and, and I, I have a, I, I've had a tendency in my life to do the opposite, to, to leap and then after I've leapt to take a look. And um, consequently, I, I've, I've gotten myself into some precarious situations Probably none more so than several years ago, my son and I were visiting the Philippines and there's, there's an indigenous tribe up, up in the mountains on the island of Luzon that when they, they don't bury their dead, when, when someone dies, they, they put them in a coffin and they, they take the coffins and they, they tie them to the walls and the ceilings of a cave system. There's a massive cave system, the largest one in the Philippines. And so I thought that that's a pretty cool thing to see. So I want to go see that. So, um, so we, we drove there. We, we got there by bus. It was late in the afternoon. We went to the tourist office and, and said, we, we want to go see the caves. And, um, and they, gave, they gave me, for lack of a better term, a menu, different, different things you could do. And um, I, I'm, I'm looking down the menu and I, I'm just like, I, I don't know exactly what I want to do. I just want to kind of go down there and see the caves. And so I, I, I read a paragraph that said, take a 20 minute walk. And I stopped reading. I thought that's, that's what I want. I want a 20 minute walk down to see the cave. So they said, we've, we've got to go get you a, a guide uh, who, can, who can take you. So they came back with this little Filipino dude and, and he had a little... He had a little kerosene lantern with him and, um, and, and we, we set off walking and we got down to the caves and we, we entered the caves and we started going down into the caves and we, we got to a point where we, we, had, we descended like a chimney holding onto a rope down about 20 feet and then we, we started going, I mean, rigorous, you know, going through crevices like where your back and your belly are both touching and you know, and wiggling our way through this. And, and we've been going about 45 minutes and I'm like, okay, this is not a 20 minute walk. And um, so I, I, I said to our, our guide, I said, um, what, what exactly are we doing? I mean, we, we've been going for 45 minutes. How much further are we gonna go? And he said, oh, about three more hours. And I, I said, I said are, are you serious? And he said, well, that's what you signed up for. So I said, can we go back? And he said, not, not really, it's not practical. The best thing is just to keep going. So I said, okay, well, let's keep going. So, so we kept going. I don't, I don't know if you've ever been 300 feet below the earth's surface, it's dark. I mean, it's, it, it hurts, it's so dark. And so we're down there with this little Filipino dude with his kerosene lantern, that's it. And uh, at, at one point we walked through an underground river that you couldn't even see. Like he says, take off your shoes. Why do I take off my shoes? We're about to walk through the river. Oh, okay. Take off my shoes, walk through the river. So we're, we're going along. And, and after a couple hours, we, we came to, I'm not making this up. We're walking on this ledge that's about four feet wide. And, and I can't see what's on the right. It's just black. And, and to the left is like a sheer wall. So we're walking along this ledge and we stop. And he goes, okay, we need to go up. 
I'm like, what do you mean we have to go up? He said, we got to go up this wall. And he said, if you stand up on your tiptoes and reach as high as you can reach, you feel that little ledge. He said, I said, yeah, I feel it. He said, okay, pull yourself up. <laughs> I said, dude, I can't do this. And I, I looked at my son and I said, I, I don't know what to do. I can't, I can't do this. And he said, yeah, pull yourself up and you reach in there about two feet and there's a little indention and you can really get a handhold and pull yourself up. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. And so he, he, he sets the lantern down and he squats and he says, get on my shoulders. <laughs> At that moment, I realized I'm completely dependent upon this guy. I, I, don't even, I don't even know his name. I just met him. But I, and, and he lifted me up and I crawled in and I'm inside this little room. It's about three foot high. I'm squatting down and he's down there with the light. I'm like, dude, if you don't get up here, I'm done. And I, I, now, obviously I survived, but, I, but in, in spiritual terms, have, have you ever come to a, a point in your life where you're like, I, I just, I can't do this. I just, I can't do this. And, and you had to depend upon someone else to even move forward spiritually speaking. When, when, we, when we come to trust and follow Jesus, as we've talked about the last two weeks, and like Isaiah, we say, here am I, then inevitably, we're going to run up against the wall of our insufficiency. And we're going to realize we need strength outside of ourselves. Paul put it this way in Romans 7, 18. He said, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So to, to live faithfully, trusting and following Jesus, we must realize our own insufficiency and come to depend upon God. And when we hear God calling us to depend upon him, that raises the question, what, what would compel us to have the confidence in God that would move us to say, I'm insufficient, but I'm gonna depend upon you. Well, that's, that's the lesson that Moses is learning in Exodus chapter three, because Moses looked before he leapt. And when he looked, he saw something that was way beyond him. But when he looked and he saw something way beyond him, God was there. So let's, let's see what God's word asks for us. Exodus chapter three. This is the eternal word of God. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. 
And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near, take off your, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham and Isaac and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Verse seven, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up to that land, uh, out of that land, excuse me, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come up to me. I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, but I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So let's, let's think about God's calling to Moses, which is really expressed briefly in, in verse 10. God says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring out my people. I was reading an article not long ago about a man named Ben, ben Sliney. Sliney. He, he, was, he was the, the national operations director of the Federal, Administration, the Federal Aviation Administration on September 11th, 2001. And, and when the World Trade Center and the Pentagon were attacked, he made the unprecedented move, never done before, not done since, of giving the security control of air traffic order, which meant every aircraft in U.S. territory had to land immediately at the nearest airport available. So at the time he gave that order, there were over 4,200 planes in the air. So you had people flying to Seattle who were landing in Omaha. You had people flying to New York who were landing in, in Raleigh. And think about the schedules and the people and the time and the property and, and all of the money involved in the business and travel. And, and, and you understand that's, that's, a, that's a magnitude of a calling, isn't it? Well, he, here's the rub. 9-11 was his first day on the job. Can you imagine the level of stress and, and maybe inadequacy that, that he must have felt in that moment? But listen, he had a large staff. 
He had a trained group of advisors and he had the full weight of the U.S. military behind him to back up his order and to help him. Well, think about Moses. Here's Moses who was a past failure at this very job, who was currently a shepherd in the wilderness and he's given an immensely significant calling that would affect hundreds of thousands of people, that would affect the destiny of a nation, in fact, the destiny of two nations, and in fact, would be a part of the carrying out of the very promise and purpose of God to bring a redeemer into the world. How could that not leave him with a sense of, an immediate sense of inadequacy? So here is, here is Moses being told to go and make demands to the most powerful military and economic nation uh, in the world at that time. Here is Moses being told to go and gather the Hebrews who had refused to acknowledge him the last time he tried to lead them, who he may or they may or may not decide to follow him. This is, this is a requirement that, that required, this is a calling that required more than, than Moses had in himself. And, and here he is alone, probably thinking about the last time he tried to fulfill this calling in his own wisdom and his own strength. And what was left was a murdered Egyptian buried in the sand and resentment buried in the hearts of the Hebrews. There's no doubt about it. Moses in this calling needed God. Now we, we tend to be hard on Moses, even to, even to mock him for his hesitancy. But, but this morning, rather than, than berating Moses, let's, let's think about maybe standing in his shoes. Because when we, we think about the magnitude of our individual and corporate calling as the people of God, it's very easy for us to get overwhelmed if our eyes are on ourselves and if we're relying on our own strength. I mean, just, just think, just briefly, we're, we're expected in, in a culture where we are constantly bombarded by lies, we're called to live the truth. In, in a culture where we're constantly confronted with complete irrationality, we're, we're called to respond in, in gentleness. In a culture where we're surrounded by darkness, we're, we're called to be the light of Jesus Christ. And in a culture where we're drawn toward pride and autonomy and self-exaltation and self-actualization, we're told to grow in humility. And then on a, on a personal level, I'm, I'm called to love my wife as Christ loves his church. I mean, in all the things that we're trying to do to provide and protect for our kids, we, we're called to teach them about Jesus. In, in all of our relationships, we're, we're called to live, to forgive freely and, and quickly. And then think about us corporately. Sometimes we throw this around, I think, with a sense of, 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 of cavalierness. It's a weighty thing when we talk about Prince Avenue Baptist Church being the presence of God in our community. It's a, it's a weighty thing when we think about the call of God for our church to carry the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. And we can do a lot of things and, and a lot of you are really talented in a lot of areas of life, but none of us 
can accomplish spiritual good. None of us can attain spiritual growth. None of us can bear spiritual fruit in our own strength. So I fully understand Moses in verse 11 when he says, who am I? I get it. We desperately need God's strength and power and sufficiency. So what God wanted to do with Moses was to take him from who am I to I am who I am. He wants to take Moses and turn his face away from Moses and away from Pharaoh and turn it fully upon himself. So when we, if we're honest, when we think about trusting and following Jesus, to trust and follow Jesus requires that we depend upon Jesus. If we're going to trust and follow, then we must depend. And so that's what we're learning about this morning, that God, because he is sovereignly sufficient and because he is personally present, is able and willing to be the strength that we need. So what is it that gave Moses confidence to depend upon God for the strength he needed to live out the calling in his life, the confidence of God's call came from God's character and God's commitment. So let's, let's think about those two things with the time that we have. First, let's think about God's character. So, so Moses immediately asked, what is the source of my strength here? How can I do what you're calling me to do? And God says, I'm going to show you something and I'm going to tell you something. So I, you, when y'all were little, did you ever do show and tell? Y'all, am I the only one? Okay, I love show and tell. And, and, and by the grace of God, uh, my parents were able to travel. And so I always thought the point of show and tell was like, to show and tell something that you had that no one else had. So you could kind of be like, nah, 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 nah. So, so my parents traveled. So I had like coins from Argentina and I had a rock collection from Brazil. And, and it gave me great joy to show and tell these things that I knew nobody else had. So, so God is going to tell Moses, I'm going to show you something and I'm going to tell you something that will reveal to you that you have something that Pharaoh doesn't have. You have me. And I'm going to show you something about myself that will allow you to accomplish the goal. So um, let me tell you something. First, let me tell you my name. Now, when, when we give names, it's, it's usually just a matter of identification, right? If, if you want me instead of Michael, you're going to say, hey, hey, David. And, and my name for the most part, is just a means of identification. And sometimes in families, we name somebody because we want to honor somebody in our family, but it's usually not that big a deal. Now, to the Hebrews, the name was a big deal. A name expressed someone's desired condition or their character or their calling. So it's, it's not unusual when you read the Bible to see the Hebrews saying something like this, we're going to name him this because of this. 
Uh, the greatest example of that is Matthew one twenty one. right? The angel came and said, you're going to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus means the Lord saves. He is the savior. And so his name is a reflection of his character and his calling. And so God is saying to Moses, I want you to listen to my name. I'm going to tell you something. And it's an expression of my being and my nature and my character. Now, there's a lot that could be said about I am who I am. It expresses a lot about God. It expresses his eternality, his immutability. It expresses his self-existence. A, a lot of things we could say. But in this context, I am who I am is expressing the self-sufficiency of God. Because we see that not just in what God says, but in what God shows. So look at, look at verse 12. God says, I'm going to tell you something. And in verse 12, he said, he looked this way and that. Excuse me, that's chapter 2. We don't want to read that. Sorry about that. Look at verse 12 of chapter 3. He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, the, the reading of the ESV makes it sound like the people worshiping on Mount Sinai is the sign. I don't think that's the case. That's the promise. God is saying, I'm going to give you a sign and I'm going to give you my name. And those two things together are going to give you confidence that what I'm promising is going to come true. In other words, here's the promise, Moses. You are going to be successful. And you're going to be successful because of what I'm telling you and what I'm showing you. So I'm going to tell you my name. I'm going to give you a sign. And those things are going to go together. And that character that is expressed is going to be the assurance that you need to go depending upon me. So the sign is actually the burning bush. God says, I'm going to tell you my name. I am who I am. And I'm going to give you a sign. And the sign is that there is fire burning, but the bush is not consumed. Because that corresponds with God's name, showing us that God is self-sufficient. My, my sons and I like to go uh, backpacking and Whenever we stop for the night to camp, um, we have different jobs. My job is to gather firewood. I think they give me that job because it's hard to mess up. So I, I go out and gather wood. And um, I gather wood and gather wood and gather wood until it's, until it's dark. Now here, here's what I've discovered. Never in my life have I gathered enough wood. I never have. In fact, I was watching Survivor Man the other day, and, and he said, if you want fire to burn through the night, gather all the wood you think you need, and then multiply it by five. You know what fire does? Fire consumes wood. Fire consumes wood. But this fire is burning on its own. It doesn't need the wood or the leaves of the bush to sustain itself. It needs no outside fuel 
because it is sufficient in and of itself. So this truth of God's self-sufficiency is also expressed in his name. I am is who I am. That is, God exists in and of himself. That God is all that he is in and of himself. He is sufficient in himself for his existence and the sustaining of his existence and the accomplishment of his will because God alone is independent. Everything in everything in reality is dependent upon something except God. Listen to what Jesus said in John 5, 26, for as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. So what this tells us is that God has no needs. God has within himself everything necessary to do what he wills. God can receive nothing that he hasn't first given. God cannot be controlled by anything or anyone because he's independent of everything. So, so we understand if, if I have a need and you are the only one who can, who can supply that need, then to a large degree, you control me. If I have to have water to live and you alone have the water to supply me, then I need you so you control me. God has no needs, so he has no obligations, and he cannot be controlled. So what this means for Moses is that God never relates to his creation out of necessity. You understand that? God never relates to his creation out of necessity Everything about God's relationship to us is voluntary. So when God calls us to go to the ends of the earth, God is not saying, listen, I really want to go to the end of the earth, but I can't get there. Can you help me? Okay, God can go wherever he wants. In fact, he's at the ends of the earth. Okay, God can do whatever he wants to do. What he's doing is saying, I, I want to bless you. I want to make you a part of my plan. I want to incorporate you in my loving plan that I'm doing to reach the world. So think about Moses and Moses' understanding of the sufficiency of God in this place. The burden of this calling is not on Moses. The burden for this calling is not on Moses. God is carrying the burden. He does not need Moses to accomplish his purpose. So when God says, I am who I am, he's saying, I am self-sufficient. I have within myself everything necessary to complete your calling. So what is important is not who Moses is. What's important is who God is. What's important is not who Pharaoh is. What's important is who God is. In fact, before God ever calls Moses in verse eight, he's already said, I'm the one who's gonna do this. I came down and I will deliver my people. So God in his name and in the burning bush shows us that he is sufficient for the task. Moses can depend upon him because he's sufficient. But there's something else about the burning bush. Not only does it show us 
God's sufficiency, it also shows us God's sovereignty because do you, do you know what? A fire that is burning but is not consuming the bush, that doesn't happen except when it does. And so when it happens, something is going on beyond fire and bush. And so this shows us God is sovereignly suspending the flame's natural properties. God is sovereignly holding the fire in a state of obedience to his purpose. God is using and controlling the bush by his power. God can cause a fire to burn that does not scorch one little twig because he's sovereign over all things from nature to nations. And so when someone says, Moses, who can turn rivers into blood? Who can turn dust into gnats? Moses, who can call down darkness at midday? Who, who can cause the waters of the sea to stand up in solid walls? Who, who can bring water from the rock? Who can, who can rain down manna from heaven? Moses can say, the God whose flame can burn without burning the bush. He can. The I am can. Yahweh can. And when someone says, Moses, who can break the will of Pharaoh? Who can stand against the strongest military in the world? Moses can say, the one who is sovereign over all militaries, over all presidents, over all nations, because God holds the heart of the king in his hand and he turns it wherever he wills. In fact, hundreds of years later, Paul would write in Romans 9, 17, that God is the one who raised Pharaoh up and gave him power. And he did that to manifest his power over Pharaoh. So God says, Moses, this is your confidence. Your confidence is I am who I am. I am sovereignly sufficient so you can depend upon me. And if we will allow our weakness to drive us to this sense of dependence, then we will see God do mighty things. So God's calling is empowered by God's character. But then he says that calling is assured by God's commitment. Look again at verse 12. God says, Moses, I will be with you. I will be with you. So the, the God who comes the God who calls, the God who controls is the God who commits to Moses. I was with your father. I was with Abraham. I was with Isaac. I was with Jacob and I will be with you. So Moses is not having an audience with the Lord for a moment, but rather he is receiving a promise from God that God will be with him wherever he goes. So all the resources that Moses needs to do God's will are found in God. And God is saying, I'm not a vague feeling. I'm not a mystical fleeting experience. I'm not an impersonal spirit, but rather I am personally present with you wherever you go, whatever you do, God is there. So God says, Moses, I want you to trust and follow me. 
And if you're going to do that, that means you have to depend upon me. But I want you to have confidence to depend upon me, knowing that I am sovereignly sufficient and I am personally present wherever you go. Now, beloved, that's, that's the why. That's the why we can have confidence to cast ourselves upon the mercy of God and depend upon him. This is why in our inadequacies and and our insufficiencies, we can call out to God, we can cry out to him and we can absolutely know we can depend upon his strength because the God who is complete and sufficient within himself, possessing everything necessary to do all that he wills, he has come and he has come to walk with you to be present with you, to go with you, and to empower you. So whatever the circumstance, if we take our eyes off of our weaknesses and and look to him and rely upon him and depend upon him, we will find him worthy of our dependence. We'll find him able. In fact, we will find that he delights to use our weakness to accomplish his purpose because therein he alone is glorified. So we come with our weaknesses, our insufficiencies, our inadequacies, our needs. And what do we do? We run to the Lord and we rely upon him and we rest in him. And when we do that, we will see his mighty power at work in our lives. G.K. Chesterton once said, the, the true soldier fights not because he hates what is in front of him, but because he loves what is behind him. The true soldier fights not because he hates what's in front of him, but because he loves what's behind him. Um, I, I love the movie Gettysburg. Um, and, um, and, and I, I watch clips of it all the time. Just incredible heroics. I love to watch Joshua Chamberlain and the soldiers from Maine as they're defending Little Round Top. And there's a scene in there where General George Pickett is about to lead his men on what we call Pickett's Charge. And he's gathering his soldiers and they're looking at almost a mile of empty ground. And they are going to charge into the very center of the Union lines. And in the movie, General Pickett says to his men, men up and to your post and let no man forget today that you are from old Virginia for your land for your homes, for your sweethearts, for your wives, for Virginia, forward march. Now, Pickett may not have been a good strategist in that moment, but he understood what G.K. Chesterton was saying. What's important is not so much in front of us as what's behind us. Well, Moses, God is saying, you you don't need to be thinking about what's in front of you. You need to be thinking about who is with you. Because what's important is not Pharaoh. It's not the Red Sea. It's not the barren wilderness. It's not the Jordan River. It's not the giants of Canaan. 
What's important is the sovereignly sufficient God is present with you. And that's how you accomplish your calling. What's important? What's the focus of our hearts and minds? Is to set our focus not so much on the task or even on ourselves, but to set our hearts and minds on God who promises to be with us. And, and by the way, do you need a sign? Do you need a sign? Okay, God has given you a sign. It's not a burning bush in the wilderness. If you want a sign of the sufficiency and the presence of God in your life, then don't look for a bush in the wilderness. Look to a hill far away where there's an empty cross where the Savior died. Look to a garden tomb that was once occupied and is now empty. Look to the right hand of the throne of God where there's an occupied throne, occupied by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who is worthy of all our praise. If you want a sign, look at the life and the death and the resurrection and the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Set your hearts and minds on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the sign God has given us, the eternal sign. This is what Paul says in Romans 5, 8. He says, God demonstrated. That means God has shown. God has manifested. God didn't just tell. God showed us. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we see a Savior who's sufficient to keep us to the uttermost. We see a Savior who can destroy every stronghold and defeat every enemy. We have a Savior who can empower us for every task and accomplish every calling. So set your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and his power and his majesty and his mercy and his love and his grace. Because it is in the finished work of Jesus that we know we have seen and we have been told that God came and God loves us and God will never leave us. And God's grace and power is sufficient for our every need.